Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, you saw yesterday I sent basically the thing like what I think were my 10 most important movies. And I sent a few movies uh, where they really inspired me. And I think they are... Uh, masterpieces of course the list is bigger sure but uh but they were just out of my ass basically yeah that's that's kind of that would be a good uh motto for the show yeah um is uh, out of our ass uh, in fact that's, that might be a better title than trailers from hell <laughs> too late now <laughs> too late um but anyway so uh we are here this week uh oh, i should start over Hi, I'm Josh Olson, and you're listening to The Movies That Made Me, the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. I'm here as ever with the great Joe Dante, and our guest this week is a filmmaker um, who, uh, if I can speak freely, has a, has a reputation that um, may or may not be deserved. Um, my specific uh, kind of radicalizing experience with him was many years ago, there was a screening of a movie he made called Postal at a screening room in Hollywood. And my friend Daniel Waters, the screenwriter, the two of us went off to see it. And uh, I'm looking this gentleman in the eye when I say this. We went, I will admit, to go kind of laugh. And we knew he was going to be there doing an interview. And we thought this will be an interesting train wreck. And we saw Postal. And our jaws hit the floor. It was a brilliant, dark, twisted, very political comedy. Um, And the filmmaker in question uh, gave a really entertaining and intelligent uh, interview with the Q&A afterwards, and I think won almost everybody over. Uh, I am talking of uh, the fascinating and wonderful uh, Uwe Boll, who is here with us, uh, in Skype, actually. Um, Hello. I, I, <laughs> how are, I, actually, where are you? Are you in Canada? Or you, Vancouver. Vancouver, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that movie really... Uh, kind of rocked my world because you walked in and I'm sure you're no stranger to what your reputation was at that point. <clears throat> and here's this guy making a movie that is so uh, out of the mainstream and so smart. My, I wish I could take credit for this line. My friend Dan said, it's the 9-11 movie that America deserves. Um, <laughs> and I, I have to agree. Um, he's gone on to make many other films. Um, one that really uh, also kind of uh, affected me um, was he made a movie called Assault on Wall Street that uh, I was just uh, discussing with Joe and Don here beforehand. Um, pretty much every screenwriter I know has been brought in to pitch ideas on the Death Wish movie over the years. And I know I'm not the only one uh, who has suggested to the various uh, incarnations of producers on this thing that um, street crime is not really 
that big a deal anymore that if you really want to tap into the zeitgeist, uh, you need to have your guy um, be someone whose wife, say, was killed by an insurance company and he goes after Wall Street. And they would always go, oh, nice idea, and then move on. Um, well, you made that film. Uh, you made Assault on Wall Street, which is, again, that I think I've sort of summed up the plot, but a very smart, dark, political action film, very entertaining. Um, you've gone on to make a series of uh, more kind of political action films, the Rampage series, uh, which are which are also uh, very, very entertaining and very smart. But you have this sort of overall reputation that I think keeps a lot of people away from those films. And um, I'll be honest, there's an agenda here. My hope is in the conversation about uh, the movies that have inspired you, we can kind of wake people up to the fact that there's a lot more to you than maybe some people think. I've been talking a lot. I apologize. Does that? Uh... <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, I uh, made, started with in Germany with a few movies. And uh, the first one was German Fright Movie. It was basically, uh, in a way, inspired by Kentucky Fright Movie. And we did a German version with almost no money. And it was actually uh, received very well. And we made even money in the movie theaters with it. And uh, then I did a movie, Barshall, Murray in Geneva, what was basically about, uh, it's a political case in Germany where an actual prime minister of a German state got found dead in the bathtub in Geneva, uh, 1987. And it turned out, uh, so they counted as suicide. It was officially a suicide, but he got poisoned, a little like what Putin is doing now. And he was, he was uh, in the same hotel at the same time, was the son from Ayatollah Khomeini and uh, various Eastern German agents. And we went um, down to basically Geneva in so We made the movie, we got like our telephones got taped in between. So we heard echoes, whatever we changed, we, we uh, uh, figured out. And, and our uh, solution is that there was a political uh, a real murder case right so and uh, because he turned out 10 years later after my movie it turned out he was very involved in weapon deals um with eastern germany as a west german polit politics there was a lot of bribery going on and in the times of the cold war i don't want to take to talk too long about it but it's an interesting story in the cold war you can say that Eastern Germany delivered weapons to all the communist countries and Western Germany delivered weapons to all the more uh, NATO-friendly uh, uh, countries. They divided it up, but they made together money on it. And uh, uh, because Eastern Germany needed German, West German currency uh, because their currency was worthless, basically. So that movie tanked totally. <laughs> and I thought that this is the end of my film career. Uh, because I got also political flag. And then I made one more German movie, Run Amok, uh, where I basically have a guy running Amok. Uh, you never see the police, you just see him. And it's uh, the last 25 minutes of the movie is Richard Strauss' uh, Totenverklärung uh, Symphony with the Berlin Symphony Orchestra in a slow-mo uh, Amok run. Uh, it was basically me saying goodbye to the film industry. I, because I never got subsidies in Germany, I was always an outsider. So I felt like if I go... If, it, if, if that was it, I go with a bang. And it, I think the movie is uh, extremely good, but it's totally artificial, right? I mean, I never saw something like this before. I mean, 25 minutes in slow motion. And if you ever listen to Richard Strauss' Totenverklärung, 
He did the also sprach Zarathustra also what you know from 2001, right? It's mm -hmm. the same composer. Yeah. But that tot death, death, and uh, it's about death. That it's the biggest, most bombastic symphony ever done in the history of music. So if you ever uh, have a chance to see that in the New York Philharmonie or the Berlin or Vienna, uh, that is something what puts like any Hollywood composer into the dust. Because you have like in the end of the last eight minutes of that symphony, you have eight, like 120 musicians all playing every instrument in full force. And uh, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. And that, that specific symphony was my biggest inspiring music I always listened to when I wrote, when I was a kid, when I was like, I started writing very early and, uh, uh, And when I went to university and, and studied literature and, and so on, it was very inspiring uh, for me. And then about when you when you talk about inspiration, when I got all the negative reviews and the golden raspberries for my video game based movies, like House of the Dead, Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain, uh, I was kind of okay, but they I got that movie's finance. Right. You know, I never got subsidies what Wim Wenders gets in Germany or all that other director. So I had to raise money for my movies and I was in a dead end, like with my more art house movies, whatever, nobody made any money on it. And then House of the Dead, the Sega video game came out of the blue basically, and it was able to finance it. And it actually generated millions of dollars in profit on our account, not only on Lionsgate's account or whatever, on our account. And that we all know is very rare in the film industry, that as a filmmaker, you actually like double your money and you can show your investors, you know what you made, you made a hundred fucking percent. Yeah, and so that, that opened more investments in my movies. And so, uh, but at the same time, uh, it moved away, my reputation moved away totally to, I'm a trash filmer, I'm uh, Ed Wood, I'm, uh, uh, you know, like I'm an idiot and whatsoever. So, and it, it uh, um, and, and I was upset about it. I was fighting back. That was the biggest mistake, you know, when you, uh, uh, I, I never had a Hollywood agent management PR company, whatever, you know, when like, uh, 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 here, what is the fat guy from Austin? Harry Knowles. <laughs> <laughs> so no matter, he trashed me to the garbage, right? And I told him like, you just, for me, a fat fucking asshole. Uh, you have no clue from film history, you know, like, I mean, I, I grew up, there was only like cinema, right? So there was, there were no, no TV cable channels, no Netflix, whatever. I watched uh, uh, Romero's uh, Dawn of the Dead or Once Upon a Time uh, uh, in the West from uh, Sergio Leone or whatever. I watched Apocalypse Now, The Deer Hunter, whatever. I watched that in the movie theaters. That was my education, film education. Like uh, from Ingmar Bergman movies to Pasolini to uh, uh, I went and watched them, you know, and, and, and so to tell me uh, I have no clue from film history uh, is laughable. Well, you know, it's like, it was for me always laughable. That was the reason I was so aggressive about it, because I really watched thousands of movies. I know uh, uh, from Potemkin, from Eisenstein, whatever. I really know from the ground up what up what happened in the film industry. And it's not like my filmography or, or film knowledge as we have now in Hollywood starts with Star Wars. Right. <laughs> or people think that is an important movie or whatever, you know? So that is, that is the thing. It's like, uh, uh, it, it's, it's for me like, um, um, 
you know, when, when you ask average people, Orson Welles, they will say Citizen Kane, you know, but they will, they will not like the, the House Embers and whatever. They don't know Othello, Macbeth, whatever. They don't know all these other movies because it's just something they snap out of Instagram or, or whatsoever. So, you know, that was why, why I was unhappy. And I think also later I made that other movies with posters, Sound of Wall Street, Rampage. I made a movie about the four, the genocide in the four, uh, uh, you know, stoic about a, a prison situation where three people tortured and raped the guy over the weekend. We played it all in one prison cell and they had the actors, they had to stay in the prison cell for the for the duration of the movie. It was Edward Forlong is in it, uh, um, uh, um, uh, the son from Barry Levinson is in it. It's an amazing movie. I never got any credit or whatsoever, you know, like the only money I ever made was with the stupid video game based movies and everything else got completely ignored or even bashed. And uh, so it was a very frustrating, um, like last 12 years. Uh, I can imagine while, while you were talking about music, by the way, Don, our engineer, who's a great composer himself, uh, a musician was nodding along in agreement. So, um, but that seems like a great way to segue into, you know, let's talk about the movies that kind of inspired you coming up. Um, I'm also interested, you you didn't, here in America we had, uh, you know, pre-cable, we had, you know, a few TV channels and they would run old black and white movies. So if you were a kid of a certain age, you know, it was almost forced upon you. But you're, you're saying you didn't have that. You actually had to go to theaters as a kid to... No, yeah, no, no, I went, there was one movie theater in Bookshite, a small town where I'm coming from, from by Cologne, and they had matinees every every Saturday and Sunday, and they showed only, like, uh, uh, and my parents, I was six, seven, and I walked alone to the movie theater, and my parents just, okay, I watched the matinee, I had no clue what was coming, but there was, like, uh, uh, Mutinity of the Bounty, Kovadis, uh, Ben Hur, like, movies like this, and I was, like, the whole Sunday, because they were mostly also, like, three, four hours long, right. Lawrence, Arabia, whatever. So I watched all of this, and but in a movie, in the TV at that point, we had also two channels, and they showed classics, mm. uh, uh, but they were all at 10 p.m., right? I was too small. I mean, you kind of like, you know, and then later when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, I dealt with my mother and said, look, uh, let me watch that movie. I know it's from 10 to 12. But uh, <laughs> I sleep in the afternoon at hour. So I, did, I, did, I, I was able to watch stuff in TV too, but um, mostly the daytime stuff was kids stuff. And I was not really into this anymore. And I, I will never forget, I was like 12 and deal with my mother that I can watch Rosemary's Baby. Uh. And I was so shocked, I couldn't sleep for three days. And, and uh, uh, because I, I was, my parents were already sleeping and I was like completely scared shitless. And, uh, uh, but, but for example, uh, what I loved was on the Saturdays, I could sleep uh, at my grandma's uh, house. My grandpa was already dead, but I could sleep uh, in her house. And she always let me watch the Western in, the, in TV in the sa- Saturday evening. And it was, so I watched from, of course, El Dorado, Rio Grande, uh, the, all the John Ford, the Howard Hawks Western, John Huston, you know, so uh, um, Treasure of Sierra Madre. So you watched a lot of, uh, I mean, at that point, the TV really picked the good stuff. Right. You know, right. how, whatever, how the West was won. So you, <laughs> I watched all that, that Western classics uh, uh, from hundreds of them uh, over, the, uh, over the years uh, um, and loved it. 
I, I still love Western and uh, uh, I'm always happy if from time to time a new Western comes out, not, not a lot getting done, uh, uh, but I think it's a, it's a great genre. Uh, absolutely agreed. Um, well, why don't we, uh, you've got a list of uh, the 10 sort of movies that most inspired you. Is that the, or, or start ten, at, 10 of the movies or 10 of the movies that, uh, if you want to sort of start at the bottom and work your way up while well, we can kind of get a yeah, feel I mean, for, I mean, uh, I would say, uh, um, as the, the, the initial movie, what made, what made me, I want to make movies is mutility of the bounty. Uh, and not not the old one with with uh, Clark Gable, the the, uh, the Marlon Brando. On December twenty third, seventeen eighty seven, His Majesty's ship Bounty sailed from England, bound for the South Seas. En route, there began a fantastic series of historical events, culminating in the most famous mutiny in history. The dramatic story of that mutiny has for more than a century excited the imagination of men, women, and children the world over. Oh. And, and, and yeah, not, not the, I don't know what- Not the Mel Gibson the, ones. Other, yeah, shitty ones, whatever. But, but the, so the, the, uh, uh, the Marlon Brando one, because I felt like, oh, I want to do this. I want to make movies, I want to be in the Caribbeans, I want to have adventures, I want to be like, uh, uh, travel through the world and doing movies like this. That was, wasn't really like, uh, I watched it in the movie theater, came back home, told my mother, I want to make movies. And it was also kind of an, uh, so that I started reading about movies or directors or genres. When I was like 11, 12, I started reading books uh, uh, about it, right? So, and uh, um, when you had later the Truffaut book about Hitchcock, whatever, all that stuff, uh, um, uh, uh, Krakauer and, and, and uh you know, James Monaco, how movies getting made, all that early stuff. So I read all of this too. And so I, I never lost the, the, the interest for like being just watching a movie, being fascinated. And at the same time, uh, getting a little more background info uh, about it. And um, I think one of the, if I go to like movie number two, uh, would be Jaws. Ah. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, so because was also this guy. I mean, a I think it's it, it's it's just a sensational movie, and I think a real good movie you can only see twenty, thirty years later. You can really judge this, and and Jaws is a movie I can watch every year without being bored. Yeah, and it's like you're just hooked to it. You just like watch it, and it's just like uh, uh, engaging. Uh, uh, a, I mean, a real genre movie with great actors, great directing, with, without all the CGI, you know? Like, I mean, we all know the disastrous shooting the, uh, situation of, of Jaws, yeah? Uh, and, and, um, but I think it's uh, it's just, it was a very inspiring movie to, uh, to for me also in regards of doing genre, um, and not only like dramas or comedy. Uh, uh, and, and I just uh, loved Jaws because it was this kind of, everybody was scared shitless in the movie theater. And that, that was also way before social media, way before you could have any information. So you were, you only know, oh, it's a Steven Spielberg film, it's Jaws now. And then you see the opening and you're already like, oh God. Yeah, so right. a, a, a great movie. And I think a movie what, what, what still delivers. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I want to take advantage of the fact that we've got two directors here. 
Um, Joe. No waiting. <laughs> what? Two directors, no waiting. That was Two directors, my, no my waiting. slogan on my first film, which had a co-director. <laughs> uh, what, one of the things that has always fascinated me is that I can think of few things that exist on the planet right now other than sh- that are more terrifying than sharks. And they're just frightening creatures. You and Trump. And well, okay, fine. <laughs> no, he's afraid but, of sharks. He's, oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. Wait, you're sh- not shark phobia. No, I don't spend that much time in the water. I, 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 I I'm afraid of piranhas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a good fear. But I, how but come? In, in the internet right now is a new trailer, a new Jason Statham movie with a huge shark. Oh yeah, the Meg. Yeah. The Meg. That script. Yeah, it looks like absurd, right? That script has been floating around for years. years. Years, years. Yeah. And, and everybody turns it down because it's so stupid and yeah, yet finally true. they managed to find the money <laughs> well I, I hope i hope they fix the script but i i, I guess what's fascinating to me because seriously i can't imagine anything easier than making a movie in which a shark is a terrifying presence and yet it'd be a lot easier to do it if you didn't see the shark <laughs> well clearly but i it's it's fascinating to me that for such a terrifying creature there's really only one genuinely frightening shark movie why, why is that? Well, there have been shark movies. But they're not scary. Uh, well, because they didn't have the resources, for one thing. And, and the, it's based on a book that's pretty well structured. Uh, and uh, the other pictures, there's a Sam Fuller movie called Shark, yeah, which has a, a shark scene in it, because right. that wasn't the real title. Uh, there's Blue Water, White Death, which is a documentary. documentary. Um, and there's the shark, the shark Fighters with Victor Mature, where not, you not don't see the shark very much. You see the fins. <laughs> The fins tend to stand in for the sharks in mm-hmm. most of those movies. Just like in Piranhas, they always they used to shoot BBs on the top of the water and it would say, oh, there's piranhas in there because nobody had any footage of real piranhas, you know. Um, but sharks sharks are pretty scary. But, you know. Right, but, but it was, which is what I'm saying is there's, it should be easier to make... It's hard to make those movies. That's why they don't make them. As, I, I as, guess, as, sure, because you have to go in the water. It's in animals, right? So, but what, what was that one movie with the girl... Who was stranded on that rock? The Shallows, is the it? Shallows. Yeah, that was not bad. That was actually pretty good. And forty-seven so meters down was, was pretty good. It was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, there's also the one with uh, Mandy Moore, forty-seven meters down, where she's actually trapped underwater with sharks. Have you seen that? No, but I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll, my point is that the reason you don't see more of these pictures yeah. is because they're very difficult to make. Oh no, I yeah, I agree. But it just seems that when they do make them, they're they're usually not frightening. Which no, especially Sharknado. Or whatever Sharknado, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have like from Tara Reid. And, and yet there's 40 <laughs> of those things now. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. I mean, I, I thought the first one was actually so absurd that it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a trauma like yeah. spirit where you feel like, really? And, and you can you can have a blast watching stuff like this if you're just in the right mood, right? But then it turned out to be like completely shit. Well, now it's a, now it's a genre, you know? Yeah. Piranaconda and, uh, you know, the, the, there's all those pictures that Corman made with have the funny yeah. titles. Uh, and, and, they, and they're all made for, for Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, for nothing. For nothing. Uh, there's one, I, saw, I can't remember, is it, is it Mega Shark or it... Uh, Mega Shark versus... Versus Giant Octopus. Something. <laughs> And the, the giant shark leaps out of the water the, and eats a 747. Eats a, yeah, the, the, the titles come first. Yeah. Then the poster, then the movie. Well, some a, good a films classic come out tradition. of that model, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was a teenage werewolf. Yes, or uh, <laughs> Hollywood Boulevard. Um. <laughs> All right, well, what's what's next on your list, sir? No, well, if we go to Citizen Kane, I mean, it, it's a lot, uh, uh, of course, but uh, I bring it up because it was so funny 
I just watched on Netflix that Trump doku, right? Where he, he oh, got, yeah. what is your favorite film? He said Citizen Kane. And then they ask him, what is your uh, um, message or what, what, what you sing about? And he said, look, money alone doesn't make you happy. Uh, as you see in the relationship between a citizen Kane, or like Kane and the wife. And then what is your solution? He said, get another wife. <laughs> <laughs> and that was actually, I was laughing. I saw for a moment he actually understood citizen Kane, but his solution is get the fuck with the wife, like get out of it. I mean, it was so funny. I, I couldn't believe it. And so the, the, I mean, the great scene of, of citizen Kane for me was of course always when he finished the review uh, uh, about his wife, the the the, the mm. newspaper review, where, mm -hmm. where he actually sticks to the truth and uh, like trashes her into the ground, and um, that for me made the movie in a way like the emo emotional arc of, of the movie. Um, it was just uh, for me like touching you know like it's it's kind of like it's it's a it's a kind of a, a darker movie we know it's about hers whatever but at the same time um i think why it's so interesting it had it has a little more in it uh, uh what what you what in some masterpieces you cannot explain it but it's there yep. you know like i i don't know it's like a lot of times when you when you have the feeling now you watched something uh, um, important for the film industry, but also important for yourself in a way. It's this kind of, it comes, uh, it's almost not explainable with normal film analytic sense, you know? So uh, I had the same with Breaking the Waves from mm. Last von Trier. You know, what is a movie? I'm not the biggest Lars von Trier fan, to be honest. I think he's kind of a crazy person. And, and I think most a lot of his movies are actually crap. Uh, but Breaking the Waves, uh, I watched that in Cologne in a movie theater, and I was absolutely blown away. It was just like this kind of like, I mean, the, the, the idea that the guy cannot walk anymore, and he can only walk if his wife, basically throws herself out as a prostitute and sleeps with massive people getting raped, whatever. So as more the wife suffers, he recovers. And in the end, he can walk and the wife is dead. Uh, I mean, you have to come to an idea like this. I mean, that is like just uh, uh, unbelievable and, and uh, a very tough movie. But but I think also that was that was a masterpiece. I mean, it really got me. Uh, 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 emotionally also yeah he's he's an interesting filmmaker too because i I'm, I'm with you some of his films just leave me absolutely cold and some of them just wreck me for days i don't know um where were you a fan of melancholia no no oh i, <laughs> I like that one it, it uh, that that really got me and and um Oh, but you have, also, you have, I think what you have with the Danish filmmakers a lot of times is they're getting famous, then they're getting all the actors they want, and then they're getting pretentious, and they're getting this kind of art, arty, you know, so where I had the same, I was here on set, uh, my producer here, I worked in Vancouver with, he, he produced also the, is it, uh, who, who did Fast, the Festen, like the, the Fast, oh. like. Festen? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, God. Michael Winterbottom, or what? It was a Danish guy. Feast. Yeah, is it? Uh, uh, oh, the feast. Yeah, sorry, yeah, the celebration. Us. The celebration. Um, um, God, Thomas Winterberg. Thomas Winterberg. So, 
And as you know, he made after he got a movie done with Sean Penn. And of course, when you see like the celebration movie, how emotional it was, it was a great movie, right? And it worked only because they did it like a theater play. Everybody could play that movie in a day. You know, like, so, and and, and so he came out of a very good movie, very good actors uh, uh, in his mother language, and then was thrown into that Hollywood thing where uh, he learned like some actors think it's strategically good. And then I think I had the same feeling with Last Frontier with some of his movies where he got like Kirsten Dunst and all that people and Nicole Kidman. And it's like, because the agents told them, oh, you have to do like a European Hathouse movie with the hottest uh, guy in Europe right now. And that was at that point, Last, Last Frontier, you know? So, um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's an interesting, I think an interesting story. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Vandenberg bounced back, at least. And he did a, a film a couple of years ago I loved with Mads Mikkelsen called The Hunt. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Which was terrific. So he, he did manage to recover from his uh, sojourn to America. But that's that seems tough. To be... a, lot, a lot of times European directors do not uh, yeah. recover. They come they come here, they get, they get heaps of praise uh, on them, and then they are completely undercut by the studio. Well, I feel like we, we lionize these foreign filmmakers then bring them over here and the first thing it feels like I mean I haven't been through this but I watched the films I remember it happened with John Woo and I just got the sense that they've grabbed this great filmmaker who's making movies that they're not capable of making bring him to America and then the first thing they do is they decide they're going to teach him how to make movies absolutely they put you in a box and it's, but they do that with domestic directors as well so. well yeah that's true <laughs> Yeah, but then, I mean, a new trend is to have just unknown young directors, right? Where I think, like, all the people, they get, like, the $200 million movies, and you never heard about that name before, or maybe even after. And I I, I sometimes think they're just, like, executioners. Well, they like to they like to they like to get people who don't know the rules and who don't know what who when when the studio comes to them and says this is what we want do it this way and they go oh okay I guess that's the way it's done Uh, I guess I'll do it that way and you know that's not a recipe for making good movies. No, and no, I agree, and it's it's just like uh, technocrats, right? So people they know the technical. Uh, coming from that CGI background and stuff like this, mm-hmm. and, and uh, but they're not really storytellers, and and that is one of my biggest problems I have with all that event movies. I'm just not really into it. You know, I'm not into the new Star Wars, the new Star Trek, and they're getting hyped and hyped, and everybody talks about it. I think also that is the trend in the last eight years or whatever is this kind of the the reviewers, the TV stations, the talk shows. They're all acting like. They are important movies. You know, for me also Black Panther is not important, only because there are black people playing it, right? So I, I mean, it's just like they, 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 things getting a huge thing, but it, but it's still popcorn cinema and nothing else. And they make, they're making the things out of it what is just not there. And, and I think, you know, like, uh, 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 I just was today, I drove, uh, uh, I was walking my dogs and I thought about like when I thought about the Oscars this year, right? Think about a movie like Little Miss Sunshine that was 10 times better as any movie what was nominated this year or last year for the Oscars. Like Moonlight is a good TV movie, not more at all. 
you know, but, but now movies getting prices or whatever, they have no real importance whatsoever, but they're getting in, in a trend where everybody jumps on. You know, and, and that is the thing, but that is, I think, what, what completely went lost. Like in earlier years, and going down on my list, right, we do the, of course, the, the Hunter would be on the list. Apocalypse Now would be on the list. Uh, uh, for me, they were like groundbreaking movies. And, and uh, uh, um, they, they transported also information, like a real message to the world and information about like, uh, uh, yes, Vietnam was crazy. You know, it was it was not only the wrong war, but it was also like crazy. It broke a whole generation of people uh, um, in, uh, uh, you know, and, and then, of course, like 20, 30 years later, the Vietnam veterans uh, who are, all got, got completely fucked over by the government. They didn't get paid. They didn't get the, the, the medical support, whatever. And then they're standing there with uh, Make America Great Again and voting for Trump, who will take the last bit of, of Medicaid and everything away from everybody. And, uh, you know, it's like that is, the, cra that is the, the crazy world. But I think that the crazy world we're in right now uh, is shown in movies like this. And, and they were important movies. Well, you may know? maybe this audience is getting the movies they deserve. Yeah, that is true. And, and uh, a depressing uh, thought. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the, the 70s was a time when people were questioning everything. There were a lot of fascinating filmmakers. Studios were making movies that now they would never touch. That would be instant indies. Uh, and now basically, you know, it started It started with Jaws, where the, the, the B picture became the A picture. Uh, but now, uh, superhero movies, which were pretty much the lowest rung on the ladder when I was a kid. I mean, the, the, yeah. the budgets allowed for those pictures where they were serials, they were the, TV, the Superman TV series, all done on very low budgets, yeah. all for basically aimed at kids. Now that has become, that's, that's adult entertainment. That is now the, the, the cornerstone of our culture. And uh, it's, I, I've just made a rule, no more movies with people with capes in them. I'm not going to see anybody who's got a cape in a movie <laughs> unless he's Dracula. I was about to say, yeah, what if it's Dracula? <laughs> How about Zorro? Uh, um, yeah, I, I had a kind of flash of revelation a few years ago at Comic-Con, which I used to go to regularly many, 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 many years ago as a sort of... They used to sell comic books then. Um, aha. <laughs> as, uh, yeah, exactly. And and it was sort of a, a shameful subculture that uh, I was uh, part of. Well, but, it was an outlaw subculture, but yeah. now, it's the, now it's the culture. Well, what I realized <laughs> looking around last time is this is what happens when a species loses its natural predator. <laughs> is It's just taken over everything uh, as far as... My mother now knows about Comic-Con because it's covered... In, in national oh, it's like media. the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, uh, it's it's. Uh, 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 well, what's what's next on your list? Right. Coming, going back to the to superhero stuff yes. for a second more. Uh, I think also like when I uh, uh, criticize, I mean, who cares if I criticize something? But I think they are all in a way indirect. Also, uh, support for the troops, support for the military complex in America, right? Because with Avengers, whatever. It's just the people, like my kids, they believe superheroes are real, right? So, I mean, that is the thing. I mean, not the older one, he's like 10. He doesn't believe it anymore. He knows it's fake, but the younger one. And so, and it's this kind of a lost battle, you know? Right. 
I spent so much fucking money on Transformer uh, 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 Optimus Prime figures or whatever for my kids, and I hate Michael Bay and I hate the movies, you know. But I, but I have I have no choice. That is the, you know. So and and uh, I mean that 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 is the biggest problem that they are all showing problems getting solved by violence. With you know, there is no question that there is a battle, no question there is a war. It's like, and and this, in an overwhelming way, in a way, I think makes people also like Trump happening, makes this kind of a normal situation. You always have some bombing somewhere, you know, like whatever the world is like. You have here a civil war, and then you throw some bombs, and then you do this, or you give weapons first to the Taliban then the Taliban hates you, then you have to fight the Taliban. You know, it's like this endless loop of acceptance of uh, we clear everything up with weapons. And and in, in, a, in a superhero way, they hope for something special to solve all the problems. You need Iron Man, you, you, you know, whatever you need. They, you need that special, not the Navy SEALs. We need to go higher. We need to get people, uh, they have superpower. And I think that is uh, the biggest uh, threat right now, in a way, what we're doing with our children, uh, because all of these other uh, ideas about uh, how society can can be and how uh, um, like countries can be or whatever, like all that stuff, what I think we got from the older movies we grew up with uh, is gone. Yeah, you know, yeah, and that that is the thing where where uh, where I feel also like a lot of the actors they just grab the money and and run right. So they think like uh, Robert Downey Jr. is a great actor. We know he's a great actor, right? So, but at one point he made the decision, I want to make two hundred million dollars in the next ten years, and and he's making them. So uh, you know, it's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a kind of a sad story. Most of the movies running are not interesting for me at all anymore. And to to get back to what you were saying a minute ago, uh, a friend of mine just pointed out to me recently the the new Avengers film. The title is Infinity War, which is essentially been America's foreign policy for my entire life. We're infinitely at war, and it just seems to be a way of selling this. So here's here's a question to you, and it's going to sound like a challenge, and I don't mean it that way because I myself write. I, I share a lot of these views and I write movies that uh, engage with violence and so forth. But you make, um, you know, for instance, the Rampage films or Assault on Wall Street. The, these are films that use violence to essentially address problems as well. But there is a difference. And I wonder, can you kind of enunciate that difference? Because I struggle with that all the time between what you're talking about in kind of mainstream films and yet what you're trying to do with your own movies. Yeah, I mean, with the sound of Wall Street, what what, what I was uh, interested in, why why I uh, there are also movies I wrote, the video game based movies I never wrote, but there are movies I wrote, and I felt, uh, how can it be that we have seven thousand suicides after the foreclosures and everything? Like seven thousand Americans killed themselves in four years, and they all lost their houses, they lost their existence in the banking crisis, and at the same time. We have nobody going to jail. We have even like uh, 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 2008, you know, that was like, okay, now we have to regulate the banks, blah, blah, blah. And nothing got done. And people like Richard Ford from Lehman Brothers have got $400 million out of Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers went under 
you know, with 800 billion in debt and the taxpayers have to shoulder it in a way. They moved it all to the bad banks. Why, if we have shootings every day in America, every day, I mean, how many schools we want to shoot up, right? But why nobody ever went to Wall Street and really shoot that people? I mean, that, there's a lot of music. But, but I think it, it, it's a good question because it's, are they so scared to just kick the door in that Lehman Brothers or Goldman Sachs, whatever, and, and shoot the way up and shoot the CEO or uh, don't go to a public appearance? I, I mean, that is the same. But we have so many, even the political motivated, uh, more ISIS people, whatever, running amok. They did it on military bases. They, uh, you know, like, but, but it's, it's not like... Uh, really existing and uh, I got criticized I said yeah basically say that they should go and shoot the bankers and and I said for a movie I want to scare the bankers I want that the bankers watch my movie and think oh uh, maybe I was only lucky so far that I didn't get shot in my favorite Manhattan restaurant uh, you know drinking Chatilla fit so uh, uh, I mean you know like so but, but that was the I think that was I tried to do the movie the opposite to Wall Street 2, mm-hmm. you know, I think Wall Street 2 is just rich pricks are whiny uh, about their existence, but there was nobody who actually lost anything for real in Wall Street 2. And then I put in the south of Wall Street that his wife kills herself because they cannot pay the medical bills anymore. You know, and that is the point what drives him over the edge where he thinks like, uh, uh, you know what, fuck it. I go after them and, and shoot them. And, and, uh, and I think that is totally understandable. It's still murder. But, I mean, if you lose everything and you can now be a, a homeless guy at the street corner or you strike back, that, I mean, what, what do you want to do, right? So, and, and, and I think uh, what, what a lot of people see, and they, the, the crazy thing is this. We had Bernie Sanders who tried to do a revolutionary thing and he didn't get even nominated. And you have Trump who said, I'm doing a revolutionary thing, but all the wrong things. But he got, I think, elected because the people wanted that revolutionary thing. Yeah. You know, and I think that is an overall tendency, I think, in, in, in the society right now, in, in Europe and the US, that um, the people feel the injustice. But they maybe vote then exactly in the wrong, I mean, Trump, told everybody, I take care of you, blah, blah, blah. He was lying and lying and lying. And his politic is only to make the rich richer and the poor poorer. So, but the people don't know that. Right. You know, because because there is kind of a fascist channel with Fox News. What is, uh, you know, when they all criticize now the Russian TV channels, I mean, Fox News is like a Russian TV channel. In America, just spreading out lies, uh, a blur, like blurring the facts, and and uh, that should be shut down, or it should be like written advertising on on on, on the channel. And uh, um, I think we have, that is a dangerous. It's a dangerous situation where where we're moving, and the movies, and the movie industry doesn't help. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, really point thing out. And and I think with Rampage, what was a different uh, um, thing because it's it's three. It's like a three-part miniseries spread over eight years where we follow a domestic terrorist, basically, in Rampage. But I, but I think Brandon Fletcher did a great job there because he is a murderer, he is a mass murderer, but he points out the right points. 
right? He 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 said like there will be no uh, a non-violent solution because we are sold out to the rich, like the 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 lobbyists and in in Washington and whatsoever, and and they they control in the very end. Uh, you can pick if you get controlled by the oil and weapon industry and the republic, you know, like the Republican fossil fuel. Uh, uh, people, or you are controlled by uh, the the Wall Street and more Silicon Valley uh, uh, parties when 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 the Democrats are in power, and uh, that is what what that guy in Rampage uh, uh, is 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 saying and doing, and um, it's a point. You know, it's like it's it's not done anymore. I think the. The U.S. has a ma- massive problem because there are only two parties and the election process is it's either or. Like in any other country, in Canada, in, in uh, uh, Germany, whatever, you have to build coalitions. You have to, you know, you have like four or five parties. They're all getting 10, 20, 30 percent. So you have this kind of uh, a force like Merkel now has to work with the Social Democrats in Germany and they force her to do more for the labor force to do more social security, to do more for the medical thing, because she didn't get 50%, right? So as an example, and Merkel is already like a middle conservative. She's not a right wing. She's more in the middle. But every country normally has this kind of uh, uh, different influences who in the end try to make uh, uh, politics for the majority of the people in the country. But I think that is in U.S. absolutely not the case. And well, it's exacerbated by the fact that in the U.S., 60% of the people don't vote. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. But uh, um, Why do you think they don't vote? Because they're zero interested or they're just forgetting it that it's the vote day or whatever? I, mean, I, but- think, they, I think they're largely not interested. I think those of us who follow politics and uh, tend to live in a certain bubble where we think that everybody is thinking about the things that we're thinking about. And uh, a lot of people are just thinking about how they're going to pay their bills. You know, uh, and and there's a large portion of the country, as exemplified by the Tea Party a few years ago, that basically doesn't like change. It doesn't like progress. It wants to go back. It wants to go back to the 1950s and uh, where where people knew their place and uh, there was segregation. And uh, these these things are not coming back. See, the, 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 the fly in the ointment is that, you know, they don't like immigration. Too bad. There's a lot of people who are here. It's a country of immigrants, and there's never going to not be a country of immigrants, no matter how they try. Uh, and it's and the future is the young people. And if you look at the school, the, the school walkouts that we had, and the the, the gun uh, yeah. gun control stuff. I mean, the, these are they're things that are spearheaded by young people, and that's the only hope that this country has is that these people are eventually going to get, um, you know, old enough to vote and get rid of some of these old farts who just want to line their pockets at everybody's expense. But I would also say it's, it's easy to keep people from voting if you continue to just kind of... Uh, no, I, was, I wasn't even talking about so, the efforts that they yeah. make to, to legitimately stop people from voting. I'm talking about people who just aren't interested in oh, voting Oh, no, but I'm saying all. it's easy to keep people at home by just continuing to feed them this, this sort of hopelessness and, and despair. Well, that's and, what they do at Fox. I mean, you know, yep. they, they just don't cover stories that they don't want people to know. Yeah. And then they, if, but, I think if, one, but I think also, like... What the new dimension is, what Trump brought, is that denial of facts. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I think, like, let's take a Bush. I hated George Bush Jr. I hated it, right? I think totally corrupt, made up the weapons of mass destruction, a crime. He should be charged for it, whatever. 
but they would not go so far to say the earth is flat <laughs> and uh, wh whatever like like totally or whatever like when when you remember uh, uh, when when Trump is doing the Trump the the trade talks, he says Canada has a huge surplus in trading with U.S. It's just not true. It's not true, and it's in the U.S. budget. Like you know, it's the opposite. Like U.S. sells more to Canada as Canada to U.S. So, and nobody at Fox said it's total bullshit. Or somebody to Trump or or the the what is the PR the press secretary Sarah Sakabianis whatever she defends. Total lies. She is a, she, she is an accomplished liar, and you know we are now governed in our country by Fox News. He yeah. he he gets up in the morning. The first thing he does is turn on his favorite television show with these three mooks sitting there staring at the camera, telling him what he should do that day, and yeah. he does it. And he goes out and he literally word for word tweets what these people tell him to tweet. I mean, this is this is not a normal situation. I I don't think even Orwell envisioned. This particular it scenario. is the next step beyond yeah that uh, I would point out I mean George W Bush was a climate change denier though I mean there's there's uh, this is not the first time we've had people who believe in absolute garbage in the White House it's just the most extreme version I think yeah but the the, but 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 usually some of them had one or two redeeming characteristics this guy is a dangerous lunatic and he yeah. is he is at the most powerful position in the entire world and nobody is doing anything about it that's what i find astonishing and the people yeah. who are supposed to be behind him his his grand old party which now is in tatters because it's now the trump party and all of the normal people in the party have left they're all quitting uh, the ones that are dare to say anything bad immediately are scared away and they're not because because of quote the base the base is 30% of the country that is running the other 70% of the country. And I don't understand how that works. Yeah, and it's exactly how you say. Like, you remember when he visited Duarte in the Philippines, and then he came back and was asking for the death penalty for everybody. Basically. For drug dealers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, and, and we need more death penalty. So it's like, whatever, whoever basically talks to him, if he goes to North Korea, he comes back completely brainwashed. Right? They will just say, look, we are the good guys, you're the bad guys, so it doesn't make any sense. Whatever, like, like but, and then he comes back, oh, we have a great relationship with Kim Il-jung. Two weeks later, it will all turn 180 because Kim Il-jung, Twitter, whatever, Trump is bold, he has a wig on. And then everything, <laughs> then everything is over. It's like the third world war, right? So and that is my biggest problem. It's like that, I don't think that the Bush Jr., uh, who was maybe the weakest after Trump as a president, would go so balloony and you know like on everything and also george bush jr didn't put like on top of the epa a climate change denier he maybe denied the climate but the epa was still like full of scientists yeah well yeah. you know and that is the big difference trump exchanged everybody uh, uh into like scott pruitt but like completely absurdity he made a massage therapist the chef of uh, of, a, of an agency with thirty eight thousand people, because nobody else wanted to do it anymore, and and the, the massage therapist was maybe in his room right now, and he felt, who can grab me like this, uh, can whatever leave the agency. Wait, I have to open the door for my dog. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just to get up. So that I think that is the thing. What what is unseen and. Uh, but we're already, I have already the feeling CNN and everybody, they gave up. You know, I have this kind of feeling that they basically felt like uh, they, 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 
do everything against Trump every day. But in a way, the energy is already out out of Anderson Cooper and. Well, it's exhausting covering a, covering a guy who's crazy. You know, it's you don't know what he's going to do. He's he's got people. He's got his caddy running the country. He's he's he's, he's insane. He's, he's, this is and he's enabled by people who are afraid of him, uh, and he's 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 about as powerful as his hairdo. But uh, oh, is that you? That's mine. Sorry. But, you know, the, the problem also my is, dog calling me. You know, CNN and so forth still make the mistake of talking about him. They they don't know how to talk about someone like him, so they still put him in this context of, you know, I, I they watch. Try to, I, I they, try, they try to talk about him like he's a normal politician, like he's like he's yeah. Dick watching Cheney Wolf Blitzer try to contextualize the president's decision today as though there's you know he's a rational politician he's, instead of a syphilitic he's, old. He's narcissist. completely irrational, it's, and it's this, it's a it's a it's a crime that this guy has been allowed to continue on as long as he has. So what's your next movie, Uwe? The only only two guys I love to watch every week on HBO is John Oliver and and Bill Mayer. They don't give up, right? They don't give up hoping for common sense that he gets indicted. You know, I mean, any other president would be already like, he did 20 different things you could indict him for, but nobody cares. It has all no consequences. If Barack Obama did even one of those things, he would have been out on his ear. <laughs> yeah. You know, you remember when he, before he president, where everybody said, if he doesn't put his uh, companies out of his name in a, in a third party trust, he cannot be president. Right. And what he did, nothing. He gave a no. shit. He no. just didn't change it at all. Right. So, and it had no consequences because there was a, no attorney, no Democratic Party doing something about it. And uh, uh, and that is the thing. I mean, for example, if he throws Mueller out, right? I think the FBI should go in and arrest him. Well, you're not you're not alone in that belief. And I think if yeah. that if that happened, and they of can't. course we don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but but also the president is not above the law, right? So I mean, that is the thing. If like if uh, if you just it's a dictator. That is what Bill Mayer always said. It's it, the, all the all the things what a dictator is doing. Trump basically has already like from from ten uh, things eight marks on it. All all his all his favorite world leaders are dictators. I mean, he wants to be like Putin. He wants to be like Duterte. He wants he he likes that idea. He likes the idea of just getting everything done the sure. way he, like he did in his business. I want this done, and it's done. You know, yep. nobody to answer to. And that's why he doesn't take anybody's advice. It doesn't matter who's in the cabinet, the worst cabinet in history. But yep. it doesn't matter because he does, he, he makes personally all the decisions. And as as people in his, in his employee find out, he'll tell them something, they'll go out and say it, and then he'll completely deny it and undercut them and throw them under the bus because he changed his mind. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say I will say two things. I don't know quite when this will drop, but and I don't know if it'll happen before then or after. But he he will fire Mueller, and nothing will come of it. The well, there'll be, will there will be demonstrations. Yes, yeah, there will be demonstrations. The investigation will continue. I I think he's going to fire him. Um, what's it? And the other thing, the only thing I would point out, and I can't, I'm not defending him, but I mean the death count and the destruction done just to this country, let alone the world, by the Bush administration, dwarfs anything Trump has done. Yet, yet, uh, that's the thing. I think it's the. Potential. I don't know the EPA, the CPA thing is pretty bad. It's. I it's mean, very th- bad. Th- this this, this it, you can't you can't undo that stuff. 
you no, know, you exactly. can't. Once you pour the stuff in the lake, it's there. You, but the good thing is, we've already destroyed the environment. We only have about thirty years left, regardless. Well, you know, and that's so that's twenty. Stephen Hawking thought we should go to another planet, and all I yes. can think of is, well, we we haven't finished ruining this one. Why well, we don't <laughs> mess up another one? Um, the mass says thank you already in advance. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, uh, but another movie is that will be flat. Ladies and gentlemen. I've traveled over half our state to be here tonight. I couldn't get away sooner because my new well was coming in at Coyote Hills and I had to see about it. Ladies and gentlemen, if I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. I'm a family man. I run a family business. This is my son and my partner, H.W. Plainview. You boys are a regular family business. Now, you have a great chance here. My son is a healer and a vessel for the Holy Spirit. He has a church. And you will be cast up at the rest I'm fixed like no other company in this field. I have a string of tools ready to put to work. That's why I can guarantee to start drilling and to put up the cash to back my word. I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, no matter what the others promise to do, when it comes to the showdown, they won't be there. Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, started very strong with Boogie Nights, and uh, Magnolia was uh, Magnolia was good, but Boogie Nights, I love Boogie Nights, and I think that would be blood uh, was for me the best movie in the last like 10, 12 years at all. I, I think it's it's an amazing movie. Daniel Day Lewis at his best, uh, and it's it, it's about greed, yeah. right? So it, it's 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 really like I think it's a good title and. Uh, where that, that priest, uh, Paul Dano, or whatever the, uh-huh. the actor was extremely well done, um, very dark, but but very real in a way. And and um, uh, I was blown away. I mean, that was an absolute masterpiece. And, and uh, yeah, and then he did the same, he went the same route down, <laughs> like, like Terrence Malick went down, you know, yeah. like where... Where you just watch the, the the last three or four movies he did, and you think like, what the fuck happened to that guy? He has, <laughs> nothing, he has nothing to say anymore. It's I'm going to defend him on one film. I I avoided Phantom Thread like the plague. I've never that seen was a trailer. Very, that was very wise of you. Two and a half minute long trailer that felt like an hour and a half. But no, then I, I finally saw the film. The worst ending of a movie. Oh my god! My I, I absolutely. We might come to blows, Joe. Are I you kidding? couldn't is, believe how much I love that it's film. A, it's a it's a bad Alfred Hitchcock presents episode. It's it's, it's, um, it's it to to have that gigantic build up to an ending which I, I I people might not have seen it so I can't I can't say it but it's it's an ending that is psychologically false and preposterously stupid and and for, to expect that anybody could believe the actions of these characters in this movie is is I'm sorry well it leaps I mean, off it's, into it's, a, it's a, like his last picture which is all close ups you know I'm, I'm, I mean it's 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 like I don't know what happened to the guy all, all I will say is and, and this may give you more insight into him is I I thought Phantom Fred and and, it, and that ending stayed with me forever I think it's one of the most uh, uh, terrifyingly honest movies ever made about marriage. 
And I'm happily married. I'm saying that as a... <laughs> I, hope, I hope that doesn't portend anything. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Look, I at this movie. It got Oscar nominations because of... Uh, uh, they, Daniel Dedui said, it's my last movie. Uh, you know, I mean, after a movie like this, it's maybe, maybe the right decision. You know, maybe it was because <laughs> uh, the two of the movie on the plane other movies anymore. Uh, you know, but but it's it's this kind of uh, so popular. Yeah, and and uh, but then it's the same what I said with Terrence Malick. I mean, how many times you want to have people walking at the beach, looking at each other, yeah. uh, you know, or going over a field and and I mean, like what the fuck, you know, like it, it, it doesn't make any sense. And also, if you're a good actor, like Michael Fassbender and all that people, Ben Affleck, you know, they could also like totally. Uh, uh, Instead of saying to him, uh, you know, Terrence, if you make go backwards and you start making good movies again, no, the actors are stupid. They don't see that the movies are total crap and that that guy, whatever, uses money to blow it. But but you know, like, but a normal actor who knows about filmmaking should tell him, it will be boring. Nobody gives a shit about two people smiling at each other in slow-mo at the beach for 25 minutes and it leads to nothing and it starts to nothing. You have no connection to his per his people in the movie. Zero emotional connection. And that is the the, uh, the, 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 the amazing thing is then because he gets like the superstars playing with him, then getting invitations to Cannes, getting invitations to Berlin, you know, because they want Ben Affleck on the red carpet, whatever. And instead of saying like, are you crazy? You know, like Thomas the Train is more entertaining for, uh, <laughs> for uh, adults. I, you know, and I, I will just last thing. I really, I disagree with both of you extremely about Phantom Thread. But well, I will say this: here's my other time. prediction: Robert Mueller will be fired, and Daniel Day Lewis will continue to make movies. That is my. That is my I, I believe that Daniel Day Lewis will be uh, picked to head the investigation. Oh, there you go. That would be oh, two birds <laughs> yeah. with one stone. Uwe, <laughs> um, uh, do you have one more film on your list that you can give us in the time we have, or? Dances with wolves. Just here that you've been decorated and they sent you here to be posted. Actually, sir, I'm here at my own request. Why? I've always wanted to see the frontier. Do you want to see the frontier? Yes, sir. Before it's gone. There ain't nothing here, Lieutenant. Everybody's run off or got killed. What about Indians? Ah! Totally different, right? So, uh... Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that was also a movie what really uh, uh, got me emotionally uh, like a heavy hitter, a great epic film. Um, and Kevin Costner, uh, who I met later for my movie In the Name of the King, and he's kind of a prick. And <laughs> basically, <laughs> Kurt Russell and, and Christian Slater told me the same about working with him, that he's kind of a prick. And uh, my uh, producer here, Dan Clark, he was the uh, assistant from um, Eastwood on the Perfect World movie. Mm. And he said also there, Costner also didn't came out of his trailer. And uh, then Eastwood started shooting without him, scenes, like where Costner was in. And then he, uh, he told him, like, if you're not there, I shoot without you. And then that made him coming out of his trailer. But then like 3,000 miles to Graceland, Kurt Russell and, and uh, uh, Christian Slater, they always have to wait and he didn't came, and they were like standing on their marks, and we were ready to go, and nothing happened for ten minutes, and so and it, so he, he treated everybody like shit. But Kevin Costner in Dances with Wolves, yes. I think uh, uh, amazing uh, film, 
uh, for me, total masterpiece deserved all the Oscars. Um, and uh, yeah, me as a Western fan, I was happy to see a, a movie like this. Yeah, I, I think he gets that's kind of dissipated in time. It's reputation, I think, and well, all um, movies dissipate in time. Well, no, I mean some sort of people grow in stature <laughs> as as time goes on. I, I uh, um, but one of the things I like about that, and I'm might be the only person on the planet who likes the Postman. Um, you probably are. Is that uh, you they are. are they are? I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, they're both very old-fashioned Hollywood kind of epic films, you know, mm -hmm. unabashedly and unashamedly. And I think a lot of people missed that with Dances with Wolves. They thought it was something else. But um, I think it works in the context of those kind of classic epic Hollywood uh, westerns. And in, Postman, in The Postman, the emotional arc was not there. What you have in, in Dances with Wolves, uh, with, with the wolf, but also with his wife, right? So, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's an amazing love story in it. And uh, just, a, I, I think, a, a great movie. I like Robin Hood more as the postman. Oh. Oh, I, I know, sir. The Kevin Costner Robin Hood? Well, that, no, it's, <laughs> I, I consider it the Alan Rickman Robin the Hood. Alan Rickman Robin. he's the only good thing in it. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I, I think there's a thing. Somebody said this, it, it should be a rule because I was not enjoying Robin Hood that much. And then they bring out Sean Connery. And I think the worst thing you can do in a movie is remind people of a better movie about the same subject <laughs> because I was almost accepting Robin Hood and then they bring out the star of Robin and Marion and it just uh, a vastly superior film. I will. Uh, no, 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 no. It's not that I like Robin Hood, but yes. I did really dislike Postman. So <laughs> okay. I think that, 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 totally not in the, in the same, I, I would give uh, uh, dances of, of wolves 10 out of 10 and the Postman three out of 10. See, he should have, uh, he should have rung twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, do you have one more, or shall we? Um... No, I, on my list was, of course, also The Godfather Part uh, Two, and I mean Part One. I love, I love both, right? So, uh, but who doesn't love that movie? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's it's just like an, an absolutely classic. Always, also a movie what doesn't age, like Jaws. You can watch The Godfather. Uh, you will never switch it off. It, it's it's super entertaining, and then. There are movies like whatever Titanic. You watch in the movie theater, you see it the first time, you think, "Wow, what a big movie! What a what a great movie!" And then you then you see it again, and you never want to see it. And you switch it off after five minutes. Like I'm unwatchable. And I think a lot of movies like this are basically uh, this kind of uh, unwatchable after. You watch them already. Yeah, movie, movies done. of the moment as opposed to movies for uh, all time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, Uwe, thank you so much for joining yeah. us. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking about movies and uh, a little sideline into politics there. A little sideline. <laughs> a little sideline, half an hour. Um, but uh, it, it was a wonderful conversation. Thank, thank you, you very for, much for doing it. Thank that. you for sharing your thoughts. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. Uh, come back anytime. Oh, by the way, and I should plug this. I'm not sure when we'll drop, if this will happen. But uh, really, I always challenged Alex Jones to a boxing match. Um, I hope that happens. I know who I would put my money on because I've seen you box film critics. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I really, I, I support that endeavor. Uh, yeah, but look, that, you know that he forced Alec Baldwin to a boxing match and stuff like this, right? And and then 
he takes like steroids and stuff like this. And uh, so, and I despite him, right? I think it's very good that the Sandy Hook people now suing him, like mm-hmm. the parents. But for me, I mean, he's a climate change denier. He's a right corner fascist. But to say to parents, your kids didn't get killed. Oh, he's a monster. It's unbelievable. I would be the parent. I would track him down. I would did that already. And what, what you know, like that is thing. But I felt, you know what? If he is so a big mouse, it's interesting. His ex-wife is twittering all over it. Like Alex, go in the ring, go in the ring. Oh. So it's like, it's like and she said to he owes her still money, whatever. So uh, let's do it as a charity boxing fight, and all the revenues, the winner decides what happens to the revenues. And I said my my money goes to the uh, uh, victims of, of shootings, right? So like uh, so, and and uh, of course his money would go to the NRA or whatever to the Koch brothers or to himself. And uh, so I said, like, we put that on the line. I think there would be some streaming revenues or whatsoever and ticket sales. And But of course, he's not answering because all this kind of people are always pussy. <laughs> you know, they're always in the very end, not like uh, this kind of, uh, you know, they don't have it in them. That is the same with, with um, when I was young, I boxed 14 years at Bayer Leverkusen, right? So, and, and our coach was Fritz Stunek, who trained the Klitschko's later. So we were a few times German, like amateur uh, uh, champs. So I'm out of shape, I'm 52, so I have to go back to training, but I would do it, you know? And, and uh, uh, but I know what, how it feels to get punched in the face. And that is what you learn in boxing. It's, it's not like, I mean, everybody can swing some shots, whatever, you know, and you can be like uh, flipping out, but, you learn the real thing if you do the real thing. And so I, uh, I'm i not scared to be in the ring with, with Alec Jones because he couldn't take the pressure. You know, that, that it's true. Like if you're not used to it and you get really punched in the face and the referee doesn't stop it and there is no like TV host who stops it, uh, then you will have a very good experience for the rest of your life. And that is what I, I want to give it to him. <laughs> Let's do it. I go back to training. He is pumped up. He's heavier as me. He's younger as me. He's a large man, yeah. Yeah, so, and I said, yeah, but I fight for the good thing. And uh, I I go to Texas. They can have like uh, 80,000 Ku Klux Klan members in the stadium. I go there and fight him. I'm not scared. So uh, he should do it. He should, absolutely. um, Joe, I I mean, would Trailers from Hell officially endorse that? I would certainly endorse that. Well, good luck with that. Go on the trailer. He should answer. He should say, I'm not doing it because I'm a pussy. Oh, I do it, right? So, but he should admit to his fan base that his uh, uh, screaming and being like that tough guy uh, is a facade. Of course it is. He's crazy. Yes. He's, it's an act. It's all an act. Well, good luck with that. And uh, the and new Rampage film is now out uh, streaming. Is that correct? It's on Netflix. On yeah. Netflix, yes. And uh, so good luck with that. And thank you so very much for joining us, sir. Thanks a thank lot. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Our show is recorded in Hollywood, California, at the crossroads of the world. We are the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is Don Barrett, who also wrote, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for The Movies That Made Me.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.